the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good evening and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. I'm Kyle Welch. We are here every weeknight at this time on KKLA to lift up the name of Jesus Christ so that the entire world might believe. Sharing the gospel is our number one goal and the reason we are here. Dudley Rutherford is the senior pastor of Shepherd Church, located right here in Los Angeles. During these days of uncertainty, we believe this is the perfect time to turn off what the world wants to tell us and immerse ourselves in what God has to say to us through the Holy Bible. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with his message for us tonight. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Jesus and his disciples had finished the Passover meal, the first night of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, where Jesus institutes a new covenant, and he drinks the third cup of wine. He will not drink of the fourth cup until he drinks it anew in the kingdom of God. And then we come to verse 26. This is where we ended last week. They had sung a hymn like you just sang a song. They sang a song. And then they went out to what's called the Mount of Olives. And guess what was all over that mountain? Olives. Particularly, if you go down to verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So it's probably 1 or 2 o'clock a.m. Friday morning. One hour from now, Judas will join them and betray Jesus with a kiss. Jesus will be arrested. He will stand trial. And before this day is over, he will be beaten, tortured, and humiliated, and he will die on a cross between two thieves. He has about 12 hours left to live. That's it. Now, less than a week ago, he was the darling of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday while the children were dancing in the streets and the crowds were waving their palm branches and people were shouting, Hosanna. And here we are just a few days later in the wee hours of Friday morning. It's about 2 o'clock a.m. and Jesus wants to pray. He takes the 11 disciples and he said, you guys sit here while I go pray. Now, Jesus often went by himself to pray. That's not unusual. But this night was like no other night in the history of the entire world. As I mentioned a moment ago, within 12 hours, Jesus will pay the punishment for the sins of the entire world. And anytime you find yourself in the midst of a spiritual battle, your best weapon is to pray. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And so verse 33 says, he takes Peter, James, and John. Now remember, he had the 11. He said, you guys all sit down here. 
And then he takes three, picks three, Peter, James, and John, and says, you guys come with me. And they walked a little further, and the Bible says that Jesus began to be deeply, not a little, but deeply distressed and troubled. Verse 34. And this verse, if you have your Bible, I want you to underline it, put a star, mark it. I want you to remember verse 34, not for the rest of the sermon, not for the rest of this day, not for the rest of this week, but I want you to remember verse 34 for the rest of your lives on this planet Earth. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of what? Death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. David McKenna says that sheer terror strikes his soul as he faces the reality of unchecked evil. In theory, he knew that he was born to die. But now he knows the reality that in just a few moments, he will take on all the sins of the world. That this is now the reality. And so he says in verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what he's saying there is this is more than I can bear. You and I would translate it this way. We would say, this is killing me. Now we use that phrase, we exaggerate. You know, we stub our toe. We go, oh, this is killing me. Or we get a little splinter in our finger and we'll go, oh, this is killing me. But when Jesus says this is killing me, he's not exaggerating. Do you know that people have literally died just from grief? And from sorrow, it happens all the time. And Jesus was close to it. I want you to think about whenever you sin, whenever I sin, the weight and guilt of just one. If you ever commit a sin and you know that you're going against God, and just the weight of that sin in your life, and then you multiply that and understand that Jesus is taking on all the sins of all the people of all the world, no wonder he's distressed. So he says to his, uh, three, these three guys, You all stay here. Verse 35 says, going a little further. He falls to the what? He falls to the ground. Now, typically, a rabbi would pray like this. A rabbi would stand, he would lift his hands, and he would look heavenward, and he would pray. That's how a rabbi prays. He stands, he has his hands lifted, and he looks heavenward. Jesus is so overcome with sorrow, the Bible says that he falls. He stumbles to the ground, and he prays that if it's possible, that this hour, why would he pray that this hour would pass from him? Why? Because he knows the hour has come. His disciples don't know, but he knows. And verse 36, he says, Abba, Abba, and I want you to write this down. It won't be on the screen. The word Abba means data. Papa, Abba, Abba, Dada. That's what it means. Now listen. No Jewish man, no religious man would ever refer to God as Dada. It would have been disrespectful. It would have been irreverent. It would have been inappropriate. But Jesus could because God was his father this is a very intimate moment he's coming to god as his data because he's hurting 
He's greatly distressed, just as any child overcome with pain from a fall or an accident will come running into his daddy's arm. Jesus falls to the ground and he says, Abba. He's crying out to his father. And the first thing that he says in verse 36 is, everything, everything is possible through you. I want to ask you in this room, how many of you believe? I mean, you believe that all things are possible through God. How many of you believe that? Are you sure? Do you really believe that? I think if we truly believe that all things were possible through God, I think we would all spend more time in prayer if we believe that. If we truly believe that all things are possible with God, just that one thought alone would increase our prayer time. And then Jesus says, take this cup from me. And different passages in the Bible, one is Isaiah chapter 57, we learn that when this word cup means the cup of God's wrath. So he says, take this cup of your wrath from me. Trust me. You don't want to drink anything from this cup. It's filled to the brim with all of God's anger and wrath against the sin and injustice that takes place in this world. And trust me, there's a lot of injustice in this world. And occasionally a drop of that wrath fell upon the nation of Israel whenever they disobeyed God. And that wrath was poured out when God destroyed the world by a flood in Noah's day. And now Jesus is about to drink the entire cup so that you and I won't have to. You see, Jesus was anticipating what was about to happen. Jesus is anticipating the pain, not because he's having a cavity filled. He knows that before this day is over that he's going to die. And not just a normal death, a very excruciating death, but far beyond, you have to get this, Far beyond the physical pain of the cross was the reality of taking on the weight and the guilt of sin for the entire world and receiving the wrath, the cup of wrath for those sins, paying the penalty for our sins. And so he cries out, Abba, take this cup from me. He's not asking for candy. He's not asking for toys. He's begging his dad to take the hurt away. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup of suffering from me. And then he makes one of the greatest statements that have ever been made, ever, in all of Scripture. In verse 36, he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. I tell you, when Noah chose God's will, he was able to build the ark and save himself and his family. When Joseph chose God's will, he was able to save his family from starvation. When Moses chose God's will, he was able to deliver the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. When Gideon chose God's will, he was able to lead the Israelites to victory over the Midianites. When David chose God's will, he was able to defeat the giant named Goliath. And whenever we choose God's will over our will, we will be victorious. Besides your decision to accept Christ, 
The greatest day of your spiritual walk will be the day when you're able to say that regardless of what I think, regardless of what I'm feeling, nevertheless, Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done. That will be one of the greatest days of your life. Now look at verse 37. He returns to his disciples and found them what? They're sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Verse 39, once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Verse 41, returning for the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping? And rest enough. The hour has come. Look, look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now don't forget they're on the Mount of Olives. They look down the valley. They can see Jerusalem. It's three o'clock in the morning. And as you can see, the snake path that comes down into that valley to travel up through the Mount of Olives in the middle of the night, he can see the lanterns of the Roman soldiers coming to arrest him. And he says, the hour has come. Now, pay attention to what's going on. It's, it's been a long week. It's been a long day. They just celebrated the Passover meal earlier that evening. Their stomachs are full. They've been drinking wine, and Jesus wants to go pray at 2 o'clock in the morning. No wonder they're sleepy. But the more important issue, the battle of all the ages is being fought this very moment. The disciples are unaware of the magnitude of this moment. And all three of these guys, Peter, who promised that he would never fall or leave. You've got James and John who were looking for special seating in the heavenlies. They themselves, all three of them, are about to be tested themselves. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew not only was he being tested, he knew that they were going to be tested. And that's why Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. I want you to write that down. We should always watch and pray because there are significant spiritual battles in each of our lives. And the disciples were not even aware that in just a few moments that they themselves were going to be tested and there are, there are battles right now, listen to me, there are battles being fought this very moment for your children. There are battles being fought right now for your family. There are battles being fought right now for your spouse. There are battles being fought right now for your mind and for your heart. Therefore, we should always watch and pray. Why? Because we're all going to be tested. Every one of us is going to be tested. Now, here's the three things to remember. Number one. Jesus endured this agony because of his love for us. Jesus was innocent. He was innocent. There was nothing in his life, nothing in his life that deserved this suffering, this death, this agony, the nails, the beating, the spit, the spear. He didn't deserve, there was nothing in his life 
that he ever did to deserve any of this. Yet he willingly endured it for you because he loves you. Someone wrote these words, he would rather go to hell for you than to go to heaven without you. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for our sins. Okay, I got that. He died for our sins once for all. Okay, I got that. But notice this next line. The righteous for the what? The what? The righteous. Who's the righteous? That's God. That's Jesus. Jesus is righteous. Jesus was innocent. Christ died for our sins once for all. The righteous, Jesus, the innocent. The righteous one died for the unrighteous. He died for the guilty. He died for you. He died for me. Yet, he did this to set us free in order to bring us to God. The righteous, the one who'd never done anything wrong, died for those of us who've done everything wrong. John chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd, and a good shepherd lays down his life for the what? He just lays it down for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. Verse 18, Jesus said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He could have called 10 million angels. He only needed one little scrawny angel, but he didn't. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. Amen? Number two, this story gives validity to the thought that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Many people think it's arrogant or exclusive to make such a claim that when you say Jesus is the only way to salvation, that you're demeaning all the other world religions. Whatever religion works for you is fine. You have yours, I have mine. Can't we all agree that there are equally different valid ways to get to heaven? No. This scene, to me, in the Garden of Gethsemane gives credence or validity to there being only one way. I will explain. Think about this. Jesus is begging his father. Abba! He's in horrible agony. He's to the point of death. And he's pleading. And what is he saying? I don't want to do this. Is there another way? All things are possible. I'm about to die. The father who's listening to his prayer must have been in agony too as a parent. Have you as a parent never experienced pain when you see your child suffering pain? I think that's what's happening. Jesus is praying, Dada, Abba. And he hears nothing. Silence. God, relieve me of this agony. Don't you understand I'm about to die this very moment? Silence. Why is God silent? Because there's no other way. Surely if there was another way, God would have stepped in immediately and not allowed his son to suffer to such degree. Would he have allowed his son, his only son, to endure such horror and then say, well, thank you, son. Now people have options and choices. Uh, They have just one more religion to choose from. Thank you. That's ludicrous. If there were another way, God would not have been silent. It's an insult to think that God just let his son Suffer on the cross so that people can have another option to get to heaven. This prayer of Jesus in the garden is a powerful argument that there is no other way. He begged for another way, but God was 
silent. As we close, let me give you the third thing I want you to always remember, that this was the greatest picture of God's love for you. We've already looked at the first of these three points was that Jesus willingly gave up his life, but this third point is that God willingly gave up his son for you. Max Lucado said these words, consider what God did. He gave his son, his only son. Would you offer the life of your child for someone else? He says, I wouldn't. He says there are those for whom I would give my life for, and there are people that I would give up my life so that other people could live. But if you ask me to make a list for whom I would kill my daughter, the sheet would be blank. I don't need a pencil, he says. The list has no names. But God's list contains the name of every person who ever lived. For this is the scope of his love. It's the reason for the cross. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in that son shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. That's the story that I want you to have here today. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the rich. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the sober. For God so loved the successful. For God so loved the thin. For God so loved the Europeans. For God so loved the Africans. Doesn't say that. For God so loved the Americans. Doesn't say that. What does it say? For God so loved the world that whoever believes in the one that he allowed to die on that cross, you will not perish, but you shall have everlasting life. How wide is God's love? Wide enough for the entire world. And I want to leave you with this thought. The greatest pain It's not what Jesus went through as far as the physical pain. It's not even the weight and the guilt of all the sin that he took upon himself. The greatest pain is when you love someone unconditionally and someone rejects your love. That's the greatest pain. So when you see what Jesus went through on the cross and what God went through allowing his son to suffer to such degree... I want you to remember that the greatest pain that God experiences is not seeing Jesus, his own son, die on that cross. The greatest pain that he experiences is when he allows his son Jesus to die on a cross to express his love for you and then for that love to be rejected. That's the pain that hurts the worst. And Jesus did die for you. It does validate as he's the only way of salvation, and it does validate how much God loves you. And today I ask that you do not reject his love for you. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number 
888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. If you're like me, you've discovered there are some books in the Bible that are not always easy to navigate through. Like for instance, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs contains 31 chapters and can be very daunting to go through if you are looking for a specific topic. That's why Pastor Dudley has created the perfect resource to help you with the book of Proverbs. It's called Proverbs in a Haystack, and it is our special offer for everyone listening today. Proverbs in a Haystack removes the challenge of searching through the book of Proverbs. It has over 2,000 topics that easily cross-reference to the exact chapter and verse you are looking for. This invaluable resource can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus radio ministry. You can receive your copy of Proverbs in a Haystack by calling us at 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also order this book directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. We know you will be blessed by this unique resource created exclusively by Pastor Dudley. So be sure to call right now and ask for your copy of Proverbs in a Haystack today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at this same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.